My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience, your 20-minute thrill ride for your workout or your commute. Well, BLM shows how racist it is by calling for a boycott on so-called white businesses. That's nice. The World Tennis Association does the right thing and sacrifices big money to suspend all tournaments in China in support of fair treatment for Miss Peng. We'll get you the details on that. Dr. Fauci and Jen Psaki spin like tops on Biden's COVID plans as the first Omicron variant case is verified in California, an abortion at a crossroads at the Supreme Court. All that and more coming up in this edition of the Greg Knapp Experience. Let's go. All right, so we'll start with this Black Lives Matter thing at the national level. Black Lives Matter movement's national arm, according to Jessica Chasmar, is leading a boycott of, quote, white companies, end quote, until New Year's Day, encouraging supporters to help end white supremacist capitalism by visiting only black-owned businesses during the Christmas shopping season. Hmm, let's see. So treating people differently based on their skin color is what Black Lives Matter is calling for. And to punish a group of people based on their skin color isn't that the definition of racist discrimination? No, no, they're against discrimination. This is exactly discrimination. We are living in a bizarre world where it used to be that when you said, hey, listen, I think uh, making skin color the most important thing about somebody and saying that they're all part of a group because they have the same skin color and, and this group is inferior to this group because of their skin color and we should treat them differently because of their skin color. And, and this group of their skin color. They've done a bunch of things. People like them have done a bunch of things that we don't like in the past, and we're going to hold all of them guilty for that. That used to be called racism. It still is. But now, no, no, no. If you don't say skin color is the most important thing and don't treat people differently based on their skin color, now you're called a racist. Yes, we are living in a bizarre world. Eventually, though, I think people are starting to figure out Black Lives Matter. The Black Christmas website says, we're dreaming of a Black Christmas. That means no spending with white companies. Isn't that nice? The organization calls for supporters to also, quote, move your money out of white corporate banks that finance our oppression and open accounts with black-owned banks, end quote. Yeah, that's what all the banks are out there trying to oppress black people right now. Really? I think most people, most people of all skin colors, are starting to understand just how racist and ridiculous the BLM people are and the BLM movement is. Because that's what it was founded on is the Marxist racism that you are seeing come out of them. And the mainstream media doesn't want to cover it because they're afraid. They're afraid they won't be called woke. They're afraid they'll be accused of being racist. They're, you know, eventually shut up your racist is not a good argument. And I think it's starting to get to that point. And certainly shut up everything is racist except us is not a good argument. And people are starting to figure it out. Jan, uh, excuse me, this was a blog post last week announcing the event. Quote, as BLMLA organizer Jan Williams reminds us, capitalism doesn't love black people. In fact, white supremacist capitalism invented policing, initially as chattel slavery era patty rollers, in order to protect its interests and put targets on the backs of black people. Well, forms of policing have been around since basically forever in order to protect people, and nothing has lifted more people out of poverty. Nothing has lifted more people of all skin colors all around the world out of poverty faster or more than capitalism. Even communist nations have carved out areas for capitalism in order to get their economy going. China ring a bell? 
Yeah, nothing has done more. And by the way, policing helps everyone of all skin colors. I wonder what a black-owned business would do if somebody came in and started robbing him. You think they might call the police? No, we call a social worker. No, I don't think so. And I wonder how a BLM-owned business would like these organized, rolling, shoplifting groups that just come barging into their business and dig up all their merchandise and run. You think they might want to call the police? Man, th these people have gone off the deep end. You used to just write these people off, but now because of how crazy our whole system has gotten, there are people actually taking them seriously. I think the average American is saying, uh-uh. Okay, so now we go to the World uh, Tennis Association, which I think has shown great, great courage and what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, uh, moral, moral reasoning really, and supporting their people. Because Chinese, as CBS reminds us, Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai went missing for 18 days after she accused a former Chinese Communist Party leader of sexual assault. This happened back on November 2nd. She claimed retired Vice Premier Zhang Goli forced her into sex three years ago. Now, they've deleted the online post to the Chinese media site Weibo, and she went missing for 18 days. But then, then, there was this highly scrutinized video Chinese state media released of her at a restaurant in Beijing and an alleged video call with the president of the International Olympic Committee. And so everything's fine. No. The CEO of the World Tennis Association, Steve Simon, I'm sorry, did I say World Women's Tennis Association? I apologize. The Women's Tennis Association, CEO Steve Simon, he has come out and said, yeah, we're going to suspend all tournaments in China because of the censorship of Peng and the failure to fully investigate her sexual assault allegations, and he's not sure that she's safe. Now, the Women's Tennis Association in China had a big-time working relationship going. Right now, China currently hosts 11 Women's Tennis Association tournaments, and the tour finals are in Shenzhen. But so what? Steve Simon says, we're not going to be like the NBA. We're not going to be like Disney. What do you mean Disney? Oh, yeah, you didn't see this last week? Disney Plus blocked users in Hong Kong from accessing an old episode of The Simpsons. See, in that episode, they showed the family visiting Tiananmen Square and discovering a monument that read, quote, on this site in 1989, nothing happened, end quote. That's good humor from The Simpsons. Because, of course, something huge happened in Tiananmen Square that China has now censored and put down the memory hole, and you're not allowed to talk about it in China. Well... Evidently, Disney Plus won't let you talk about it either, at least not in Hong Kong, because they're about the money. And Hollywood does the same thing, bowing, letting China censor Hollywood movies in order to be played in China because they want the big bucks. Yep. So Steve Simon, Women's Tennis Association, says, nope, we're not doing that. Says Peng Shui demonstrated the importance of speaking out, particularly when it comes to sexual assault, and especially when powerful people are involved. Listen to what Peng said. Peng said in her post, it's now been deleted, quote, even if it is like an egg hitting a rock, or if I am like a moth drawn to the flame, inviting self-destruction, I will tell the truth about you. Talk about her sexual assaulter. And that's some pretty deep writing and some pretty good stuff. Since then, Peng's message has been removed from the internet. Discussion of the serious issue has been censored in China. He says he still has serious doubts whether she is free and safe. And he says, I'm announcing the immediate suspension of all 
Women's Tennis Association tournaments in China, including Hong Kong. I hope leaders around the world will continue to speak out so justice can be done for Peng and all women, no matter the financial ramifications. Good for them. He says, to further protest Peng and many other women throughout the world, it is more urgent, protect them, I'm sorry, it is more urgent than ever for people to speak out. It's good stuff. Well, in just a second, I want to talk to you about what's going on with Dr. Fauci and Jen Psaki. They're spinning like a top on COVID. But if you're enjoying the show, I'm asking you to please be a part of the movement to combat the far left's version of America and rally around what makes us exceptional. So please uh, share the podcast with others. F- follow it, subscribe to it, review it. Tell three friends to tell three friends, and let's really grow this thing. I appreciate you being a part of the movement. Like me on Facebook. It's the Greg Knapp Experience Facebook page, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube and Rumble and Parlor and Gab. <laughs> oh, we're just going to start making some up soon. All right, so I appreciate that. So here we go with what's going on with Dr. Fauci and Jen Psaki. I had a presser for... Uh, what's going on with COVID, including what's going on with this Omicron thing. And there's a couple of very interesting pieces I want to play for you, some audio, uh, because both Dr. Fauci and Jen Psaki said some things that are either not true or really, really crazy. So Psaki, Jen Psaki, White House spokesperson, was asked about Biden's infamous promise to shut down the coronavirus. Remember, he would shut it down. The answer from Jen Psaki? We're working on it. But then, then we had Peter Ducey reminding Jen Psaki that at one point, Joe Biden said, if over 200,000 people die on your watch, then you shouldn't be president anymore. So more have died now under Biden. What's the deal? Listen to this. In 2020, when roughly 220,000 Americans had already died of COVID, Joe Biden said about Trump, anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Is that still the standard now that more Americans have died under President Biden than President Trump? Well, I think the fundamental question here is what are you doing to save lives and protect people? And the former president was suggesting people inject bleach. Okay, wait, we got to stop it right there. First of all, it was not about what are you doing? It was about anyone who is president with that many people dying should not be president. So that's number one. Number two, President Trump never said inject bleach. Okay. There was a doctor that was with Trump at a press conference saying, hey, we've tested bleach. We've tested uh, isopropyl alcohol in the virus, specifically in saliva or in respiratory fluids. Bleach will kill the virus in five minutes. Isopropyl alcohol will kill the virus in 30 seconds. And so Trump said, he was talking about ultraviolet light. He was talking about these disinfectants. He said, you know, and is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning? Because you see, it gets in the lungs and does a tremendous number on the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check out that. But so we're going to have to use medical doctors, but it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills in one minute. So a ABC News reporter said the president mentioned the idea of a cleaner beach and isopropyl uh, isopropyl alcohol emerging. There's no scenario where that could be injected into a person, is there? And the doctor said, no, I'm here to talk about the findings we had in the lab. And Trump clarified, he said, oh, it wouldn't be through injections. You're talking about almost a cleaning, though, and sterilization of an area. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Okay. now, look, you could credibly say that Trump wanted doctors to look at using some kind of disinfectant in some way inside the body. You could you could say that. But this is how he talks. He's talking about the doctors and what could they come up with. He's not saying, uh, you know, we should just throw some bleach in there. There is zero 
zero way to credibly claim he told people to inject themselves with bleach, which is the lie that Jen Psaki just told again. And then she goes on about how he covered it. He apparently reportedly didn't even share with people he was going to interact with that he had tested positive for COVID himself. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. So what she's talking about now is a new book that's come out that says that he got COVID and that he decided that he was going to meet with Gold Star families and he was also going to go ahead and go to a debate without telling anybody that he had tested positive for COVID. Well, of course, he put out a statement yesterday saying that is just fundamentally not true. Now, with all the stuff that's been said about Trump that has turned out not to be true, I think I'd be giving him the benefit of the doubt here to provide a forum for misinformation which probably led to people not getting uh not taking steps forward to get to protect themselves to wear a mask to eventually get vaccinated okay now hang on a second trump is the person who started operation warp speed that created the vaccines faster than it had ever been done before and she's gonna say that he's the reason people have not gotten vaccinated I mean, talk about spin, man. I mean, this thing is crazy, man. And people let her get away with it. Fauci was asked why he banned travel from Mozambique, despite the fact that they've had zero Omicron cases. He had no explanation. He said it was a good question. Now, remember, Biden claimed that Fauci and his team were behind the policy to ban travel from all these different African nations. And Peter Ducey asked Fauci uh, also about who gets the test on whether they have COVID before they come into the nation? And why isn't that also being done for the illegal aliens coming across? As you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new, uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's a different issue. For oh, oh, that's a different issue. Now, he says more, but I just want to stop right there. That's a different issue. So anybody coming into America, including Americans on a plane, we got to get tested. But if you're just walking across illegally, that's a different issue. <laughs> yeah, here's a little more. Example, when you talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border. So there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there. but we. So what he's trying to say is we've got this thing called Title 42. Well, Title 42 simply allows us to send people back if they have COVID, right? Well, guess what? If we're not testing them, how do we know if they have COVID? We're not testing people coming across the border. And in fact, even when we know people have COVID, we have still been letting people in with COVID who have been coming across the border illegally. And we've been letting them all stay together in big groups. And I mean, come on, man. They don't have answers to this. So they just keep spinning and spinning and spinning. Man. Meanwhile, we've got the new variant making its way into America via California. Here's the latest on it. The first U.S. Omicron case. It's in California. The person was a traveler, and the person has mild COVID symptoms, 
has not been hospitalized and is improving. And by the way, was fully vaccinated. But, but Greg, he didn't get a, a booster shot. No, that's true. He had not had a booster shot because the person has not been six months away from the full vaccination. So he's not at a time where you would get a booster shot. Well, then we need earlier boosters. That must be the problem. We'll keep an eye on what's going on with the Omicron variant. In an out burger is according to CBS LA, defiant as enforcement of LA's proof of vaccination requirement for indoor dining begins. in and out Burger, very famous fast food restaurant in California. And even with the threats of up to $5,000 fines, it appears that one of California's most iconic fast food chain restaurants, in and out Burger, remains defiant as enforcement of the city's mandate that customers' proof of vaccination be confirmed for indoor dining goes into effect. Yeah, in L.A., they're making you show vaccination to get in almost any business now. Uh, my daughter is living in L.A., and she's, I said, how bad is it? She goes, well, you know, they do make you show your vaccination proof. However, the people at the door generally just kind of glance. They're not really checking. So it's more like, yeah, we got to do this because the state tells us to. But, man, just pull out something and tell me that it's a vaccination and I'll let you in. <laughs> See, eventually that's what's going to happen, I hope. But I love what In-N-Out Burger said back in October. They said, In-N-Out Burger strongly believes in serving all customers who visit us and making all customers feel welcome. We refuse to become the vaccination police for any government. Yeah, I don't want to live in a country where, show me your papers. You're not allowed in. You can't eat. You can't. No, man. Come on. Michigan schools are still doing this nonsense because of how bad COVID's gotten in, in Michigan. We got to close the school once or twice a week for some deep cleaning. Well, I'm serious, deep cleaning. Didn't we go over that? That doesn't help. Right. Virologist Emmanuel Goldman, professor at the New Jersey Medical School at Rutgers, according to the Detroit Free Press, calls such cleaning hygiene theater. Quote, closing a day a week for deep cleaning is absurd. It is a waste of resources. It is a waste of time. It is nonsense. Doctor, tell us how you really feel. The risk of infection through surface spread is one in 10,000 and that schools would do better focusing on the air around the students and the teachers aiming to improve ventilation. Yeah, maybe Michigan should start using some science. That, that could be good. Okay, now we've got to talk about the abortion story. And listen, I, I know that a lot of people think that you should never talk about abortion on a show. Greg, nobody's going to change their mind. You're just going to make people turn off the radio. Or the podcast, you know, because I was in radio for a long time. And and I've always rejected that because I said, you know what? My audience is smart. My audience wants to talk about everything that's in the news and that's important. And the idea of the so-called right to an abortion in the Constitution being overturned is a pretty big deal. And I think we can talk about it in a way that we can really start to figure out what the Constitution says or doesn't say about it and the way that our society should handle it. Uh, without yelling at each other, right? So I, I like the world, Wall Street Journal says, look, the Supreme Court is taking up this case. Will the court in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization settle for an incremental ruling that upholds the Mississippi ban on abortion after 15 weeks, but doesn't overturn Roe v. Wade and Casey? Or will it overturn those misguided precedents and return the regulation of abortion to legislatures in the states? And that's really the crux of the constitutional argument is, does the Constitution say you have a right to an abortion? Because if it doesn't, then it's left to the states. And really, even a lot of liberal lawyers say that 
Roe v. Wade and the Casey decisions were really bad, really bad constitutional law. So shouldn't they be changed? No, no, they're stare decisis and precedent. See, once you have once you have a Supreme Court ruling, you can't change it. You've got to give due um, uh, respect to these precedents that have been passed down year after year after year. Well, precedents like, I don't know, maybe separate but equal, right? 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal on race. That held for 58 years till 1954's Brown Board of Education. And the Brown Board of Education was the right decision. So 58 years for that, Roe v. Wade's only been around 48 years. And it's not about how long it's been around. It's about, was it the right constitutional decision? Because remember now, that's all the justices are supposed to be deciding. The justices are not supposed to look at morals. The justices are not supposed to look at public opinion. The justices are not supposed to look at different laws around the world. The Supreme Court justices have sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. And that's it. They are unelected justices. They are not people who are supposed to be writing our laws. We elect other people to do that. So that's really all that is about. So what could the justices do? Well, they could declare the Mississippi law unconstitutional. They could. They could also uphold the Mississippi law, saying no abortions after 15 weeks, without overturning Roe v. Wade and Casey. They could just say they've modified Roe's original analysis of when life begins, viable life, and that's when, therefore, you can't have an abortion. So they could do that, or they could overturn Roe v. Wade because the cases are going to keep coming here and they're going to have to decide this again eventually. But here's the thing. Even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, don't believe the far left telling you that that means abortion's illegal and there's going to be people dying with coat hangers. Wait, even if it's totally overturned, it will not outlaw abortions nationwide. It will allow each state to create its own laws and people can elect leaders to create those laws. So at least that's the truth of what's coming down. Now, to me, the constitutional thing is one thing. The other part of it to me is this. And I, and I want to understand why anybody can say this is not true. Isn't the entire abortion debate about this? When does life begin? Because is there really anyone willing to tell you that when you agree that a human life is inside you, that you have the right to kill it. I, I, I'm sure there are some people on the far, far fringes, but I think 99% of people would say, well, no, I mean, if that's obviously a human life, then you don't have the right to kill it. So then the question is, when does life begin? Now, for, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe life begins at conception, but I'm not forcing you to believe that. So wh when do you believe life begins? With a heartbeat? Brainwaves? When it can feel pain? When you see little fingers and toes, fingernails, I mean, when? Because if you look at the fetal development, and I looked this up, Mayo Clinic, you look at things like, and remember Mississippi state law says that 15 weeks is when you can't do it anymore. You can't kill the baby. Week five, your baby's heart and primitive circulatory system will form. By week six, you hear the heartbeat. Week six, the heart and other organs are forming. Week seven, Brain and face are growing. Week eight, the baby's nose forms. Fingers have begun to form. Week nine, the toes appear. Arms grow. Elbows appear. Toes are visible and eyelids form. Head is large. Poorly formed chin. 
Week 10, your baby can now bend his or her elbows. Week 11, the baby's genitals develop. The baby's face is broad. Week 12, your baby is sprouting fingernails. Your baby's face now has taken on a more developed profile. His or her intestines are in the abdomen. Week 13, urine forms. Week 14, the baby's sex becomes apparent. Week 15, your baby is growing develop, uh, rapidly with bone development continuing. Scalp hair pattern is forming. So when, when does life begin? And once you say it begins here, then how can you say that it's okay because it's your body? That, isn't that really the question? And doesn't every, people have, every person have a right to life? Especially if we're talking about the Constitution, it's the first right. The right to life. So if it's a life, how can it be my body, my choice? If you believe life doesn't begin till week 7 or 8 or 14, then I'm going to ask you this. How do you justify waiting until week 15 to get the abortion? I think those are pretty good questions. Larry O'Connor says, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, really toward the very end of the first day of oral arguments, boiled the whole argument down and he said this, you can't accommodate both interests. You have to pick. And he's talking about the interest of somebody who says they want an abortion and the life of the baby. You can't accommodate both interests. You have to pick. That's the fundamental problem. And one interest has to prevail over the other at any given point in time. And that's why it's so challenging. Yeah, it's, it's like saying, you know, okay, Hitler wanted to kill all the Jews. The Jews would like to live. Let's just compromise and kill half the Jews. No, you can't. Certain things you just can't do. I mean, there, <laughs> it's either one interest prevailing or the other interest prevailing. She says, on the one hand, a woman has a right to body autonomy and the right to make medical decisions without government interference. This is back to Larry O'Connor. On the other hand, if exercising that right results in the violent death of another life, then whose right prevails? And you look at the ultrasound and DNA discoveries we've had showing clear individual life characteristics between the baby and her mother, miraculous medical advances that save the lives of premature babies as young as 21 weeks, and it makes clear that to be pro-abortion, you are now anti-science. That my body, my choice argument can no longer hold water since it's so clear that it isn't just her body affected by her choice. So what does the Constitution say? If they rule on that question, they must come down on the side of life. But we have some people saying some pretty crazy stuff. We have one U.S. senator saying that, and her name is Jean, uh, Jan, Jean Shaheen, excuse me, Democrat, New Hampshire. She said, I hope the Supreme Court is listening to the people of the United States. I think if you want to see a revolution, go ahead. Outlaw Roe v. Wade and see what the response is of the public, particularly young people, because I think that will not be acceptable to young women or young men. So is she calling for a revolution? No, she just said you'll see one. Uh, are we talking about violent revolution? She didn't say. No, I'm sure it's everything's fine. And, you know, I mean, that kind of rhetoric's fine if you're a liberal. But the court shouldn't be listening to people's anger. The court should only be listening to the arguments that are based in the Constitution, because that's their role. And there was one woman uh, protesting that I saw on TV who said, it's critical that Roe v. Wade is not overturned because it saves lives. And I thought about that. I don't think she understands what saving lives means. Because since Roe v. Wade in 1973, 
62.5 million babies in the womb have been killed. 62.5 million. It's still over 600,000 a year now. More than die from COVID each year. That's a lot. That's a lot. My name is Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. (laughs) 